check. All right. Good morning. Good morning. All right. I'm ringing a little bit. Um, hmm. Good day. Good day. Um, let's uh, start this morning in. Actually, I'm not going to start here, but I'll have you turn to First John chapter four, which is, um, I think, Kanisha's favorite chapter of the New Testament. Hmm. It might be. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna start there. I'm gonna start. Um, I'm gonna start uh, somewhere else. Let's see here. Matthew chapter ten. That's where I'm gonna start. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You ready? All right. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for um, all the things that you're doing in our lives. We thank you, God, for the wonderful things that you're doing in this church. And we want to ask, God, that you would meet with us this morning as we humble ourselves in your presence. And even now in this moment, God, we just want to turn our affection towards you and turn our heart towards you and turn our mind towards you, God. Whatever it is that uh, we might be thinking about, whatever it is, God, that we might... Hmm. Whatever it is, God, that we might... uh, be meditating on. We just pray that you would help us to turn all the affections of our hearts towards you right now. And to just allow you, God, the space to meet with us here. And we pray, Lord, that you would come and touch us and that you would be with us and that you would make us like you. Thank you. Thank you for for you and how you love us so well and how you relate to us. Thank you, God. Be free in this place, Lord, to do the things that you desire to do this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Ready? Me too. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Um, I want to start uh, here, and we'll jump around a little bit today and talk to you about, um, about fear, or at least the importance of not having any. Let's start with um, some fairly broad statements that um, maybe will help us frame it. Fear is a is a uh, is a force that acts upon you, and it's uh, it's 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 very devastating. And what fear does is it takes it it uh, inverts the rightful order of things in the universe. Uh, you know that God has created things with a, with a certain order. 
Okay, all right. You know that God has created things with a certain order. Um, that in order for um, uh, the world that he has created to function, those things need to remain in the order in which God has intended them to be. And there is an order to things. Things are not, e- things are not they're just not equal. Uh, for instance, you are, um, it seems weird to say it, but there are certain uh, ways in which uh, we are greater than angels. Which again, it just... It's so weird to say because, you know, they, 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 they haven't sinned and, like, you know, they're servants of God and they can see his face and, like, and we cannot. And, you know, like, there's just, it, it, it's odd and yet, um, uh, and yet the Bible's sort of fairly clear about that, you know? And on earth, um, there are things that, that have a certain order. And when the order of those things is mixed up, is messed up, um, the structure that God created uh, doesn't, work very well. In Proverbs 30, there's um, this uh, set of verses that, um, that I've read t- uh, to you before, but I just want to just, think about it. Um, Proverbs 30, starting in verse 21, says, under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. The things that cause the earth to tremble, the things that cause the created order to be unstable and to not be able to exist uh, in the way that God has created it to exist. A slave, when he becomes king, a fool when he is filled with food, an unloved woman when she gets a husband, and this one, very interesting, a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. And the reason that these things create instability is because there are things in a certain order, and when you reverse the order of those things, uh, you, you, you create disorder, and, and it, messes, it just messes everything up. It, nothing functions unless you do things correctly in order, unless um, the order that, 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 um, that works well is, is imposed. And so um, good leaders, I think, um, have learned how to respect the order, that, that, to recognize that, that order is very important. That doesn't mean you're at the very top. <laughs> uh, even though that's true, um, typically, um, that, that's not what is difficult. What is difficult to, is to maintain that order um, uh, in the domain of the things that you're responsible for. And so, for instance, if you are a, uh, a general of, uh, of an army, you know, and you have people that serve under you, and typically they're, uh, they're either smaller generals or they're colonels, and they have people that serve under them. They're you know, lieutenants and majors and captains and then, and then soldiers. And if you are a general and uh, you... Um, uh, decide that you're just going to give orders directly to your lieutenants and bypass your colonels, um, what does that do? You haven't done anything wrong in the sense that you, you are over everyone. You have the right to give orders to whomever you want. It's not that. It's that in um, acting outside of the order that, that, that is appropriate, you're, you're, you're undercutting the very order that you've created and creating instability. There's a lot of ministries that are like run poorly for this reason. It's because um, uh, people in positions of leadership don't recognize that just because you're, you're in charge doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. You need to be a part of maintaining the order that you've created. Otherwise, things become disorderly and things get messed up and then you wonder why and you blame other people and no, it's your fault. <laughs> you haven't respected the order that you've created. What fear does um, is, that it, is that it inverts the order of things that God has, that God has created because when you have fear, uh, uh, you give something that is beneath you power over you. 
In the same way that a general can't take orders from a, from a captain, you can't take orders from something that God has created to be beneath you. Otherwise, the order that God has created in the world does not, does not work. You know, for instance, there are plants, right? And, uh, and they're wonderful, and they produce fruit, uh, watermelon, and uh, associated wonderful things. And when God created Adam, God gave Adam the command to bring order to all the other created things of God. And what that means is that, let's say the watermelon plant, which we all, I mean, who doesn't love a wonderful watermelon? But if you know anything about watermelon patches and watermelon plants, or any plant in general, actually some plants are more orderly than other plants. But, but plants tend to just sprawl. And that's to just grow in like whichever direction you want. And then imagine if you're a human and you're like, you know what, the, the plant should be able to grow in whatever direction it wants to grow in. Because, you know, it should just be able to grow. Well, you wouldn't ever have a garden, for instance, much less a farm. And as a human, because it's your responsibility to have leadership over the plant, there's nothing wrong with you telling a plant to, you know, to grow in this direction, I'm going to cut off this leaf you know, and prune that branch because you don't have the right to grow in that direction. Because, does that make any sense? Because you have power over that plant. God has given that to you. He's given that to you. And it's the same way with, you know, not like, like every other thing in life. But what happens when you have fear is that something that's supposed to be beneath you now has power over you. And you've inverted the order of things that are not supposed to be in that order. And so imagine that you're afraid of ants. You're not supposed to be scared of ants. But imagine that you are scared of ants. And like ant crawls and you you know, you run to the other side of the room. You're, this is your house. It's not the ant's house. And you're supposed to have dominion over your house. The ant's not supposed to have dominion over your house. You understand? But if you're scared of the ant and, and you don't want to be anywhere near the ant, then you give the ant space to dominate you rather than dominating it. And if you allow a sufficient number of those things to happen in your life, all the pillars of, of order and structure in life come falling down. And every area of fear in your life is an area in which disorder is allowed to reign. And it's very important that you do not have any fear. And the reason that you are allowed to fear God is because God is, as in the world that he has given to us, the only thing that is above us in a qualitative sense. You're not supposed to fear humans because they're not qualitatively above you. You are of the same flesh and blood of any human. And so you sh- there's no reason to fear your manager, your professor, or uh, you know, because you're you're the same. You're not supposed to fear your peers. You don't, like you're, you're only supposed to fear the things that are above. And so it's no problem to fear God because God is supposed to have power over you. And he's supposed to have dominion over you. And so when you fear Him, it's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. And people don't understand the fear of God. Like, I fear nothing. Well, you're supposed to fear God because He's supposed to have power and dominion over you. But nothing else is. At least not. I mean, at least the Bible doesn't tell us that anything else is. Not emperors, not kings, not governors, not managers, not professors, not, not anything else. Everything else that has a name that you, that you know the name of is supposed to be underneath your feet because you were created in his image and you have his spirit inside of you. And it would be a gross uh, perversion for you to allow the Holy Spirit inside of you to be dominated by the spirit of something else in this world because you're scared of it. Okay, thank you. If you're scared of poverty, then poverty is power over you. Because you're going to do whatever it takes to avoid being poor. And there's nothing to be scared of being poor. 
And if you're scared of sickness, and sickness has dominion over you, there's no reason for you to be scared of being sick. But if you are scared of being sick, then the sickness has power over you that it's not supposed to have because you dominate that sickness. Jesus defeated that sickness. The Holy Spirit in you like, has dominance over it. But, but if you choose to be scared of the sickness, the sickness has dominance over you. It's also true of people. There's, you're not supposed to be scared of people. But you know that like, from the very first moment that you have a child, it's very natural to be scared that you might lose them. But if you allow that fear to continue to exist in your life, then your children have dominance over you. And you cannot discipline them. You cannot raise them in the Lord because you're so scared of losing them that you refuse to take risks that could lead you to you losing them, even though those are the godly things that you need to do. And there are plenty of parents in the world, especially Asian ones, we all know and love them, that are utterly scared of losing their kids. And for that reason, all their kids are spoiled. It's not God, and it's not love. It's foolishness. It's, it's, it's allowing your children who are supposed to be beneath you in your family line. It's very clear that children obey their parents. Parents do not obey their children. I, I, I hope that's very clear to you. I don't know if that's, maybe you don't know. But, but okay, it's very clear that, that parents are the, have uh, that, uh, a dominance over their children and have the right to discipline them and, and because it's, you need that in order to raise children in the Lord. But if you're fearful of the way that your children respond to your discipline and you don't discipline them, then your children are in charge and you're not in charge. And you can't have a functioning family that way because God has not created things to exist in that order. To exist in that order. Does that make any sense? Fear does that to just about everything in your life. And there are, there are a lot of things um, that, that you, God cannot give you access to because if he were to give you access to those things that you would be dominated by it rather than it by you. There's a verse in, um, I think it's Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, I think it's verse 25 here. I just looked it up because I forgot where it was. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah where the heavens were shut for three years and six months, and a great famine was in all the land. But Elijah was not sent. Now I'm just remember, trying to remember. But Elijah was not sent to any of them. Yeah? but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. That's a very interesting thing for Jesus. It's true, we all know the story. But I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them, only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. You remember the story. The famine came over all the land. God sent Elijah to this widow. Elijah didn't want to go. Elijah went. God forgot to tell the widow that Elijah was coming, even though God said to Elijah, hey, I've, you know, I've commanded this widow to provide for you. Elijah gets to the widow only has uh, the smallest amount of flour and oil left, and she was going to bake a loaf for herself and her son. She's going to eat this and die. And Elijah, if I swear she'd bake a loaf for me, <laughs> which is not, do you see, you just want people to be pastoral, but, but it, like, it's not what you need typically in life, honestly. Like, uh, anyways, all right. So, 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 Elijah says, you're first going to bake a loaf for me. Ah. And there's something very important here, right? 
what is it that Elijah is doing? What is it that Elijah is inviting the widow into in that moment when he says, you first bake a loaf, you first bake a cake for me? She has a fear. When, when Elijah first approaches her, she has a fear. She fears the famine and the lack and the hunger like everybody else. But Elijah brings her into a, a moment where she has the opportunity to choose to shed that fear. And she does. And by shedding the fear, God is able to bring provision into her life. Because if you fear lack, if you fear lack, then provision has power over you. If you fear not having a job, then, having that, then your job has power over you. If you fear not having bread, then bread has power over you. And in order to save you from being dominated by bread, the miraculous provision of God that would bring bread to you sometimes can't be allowed to operate. Because God in his wisdom understands that it's better for you to be without than to have, but then be dominated by it, be enslaved to that thing that you crave so very much. So in Israel, when there was a famine for three and a half years, there's only one woman who Elijah was sent to, not because God hated everybody else, not because God doesn't want to provide for everyone else. Everyone has, you have equal opportunity before God. But because there was one woman who was willing to get over her fear of famine in order to be provided by God. It's the same with us today. You want to be successful in life, you have to stop fearing failure. You want to have a life that is fruitful in God, you have to stop fearing not having that. It's, it's, it's very important. There are, God will like wait for you to get over your fears before he blesses you because he does not want to introduce to you another master over you. That would not be, for, for many people, of course there are exceptions and sometimes God, like, of course, okay, of course. But, but, that, but it, very often it's, it's because there's, a, there's an area of fear in your life that totally dominates you. And then if God were to, were to, were to bless it, it would only increase its, its ability to control you. That, that, that doesn't comport with, God's, with what God wants for you. And, and, and I mean, honestly, like, it, it's, it, just think about it. How, think about like, how many things uh, uh, just for yourself, like you know, how, how many things is it possible that you know God is just waiting on you to 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 not be controlled by them, so that He can bless you with them and 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 allow you to to have them. Abundance um, very often comes when you stop fearing something, and if you want to be married, you should maybe stop fearing being single. Because think about it, if you have a fear of being single and God allows you to be married, then your spouse now has power over you. Because you're just scared that they're going to leave and you'll be single again. 
you know, it's not like a hundred percent sort of thing where like, you know, well, God will never give me anything unless I, sometimes, I don't know, God has a, has a, has an algorithm that is uh, wiser than mine. He, he, he's not, he, God is not enslaved to any particular principle here, but I find that it's fairly common, fairly common, that the moment that you break out of the fear of something, all of a sudden that thing begins to come into your life. You've been praying for it forever, but the moment that you stop fearing not having it, all of a sudden it's like, okay, now I got more than enough. Like, stop, stop, <laughs> you know, got more than enough. Fear also opens the door to things in your life that... Um, uh, it opens the door to things in your life that you don't really want. And um, you don't understand sometimes that like the, the very reason why something has access to your life is because you're scared of it. And if you were not scared of it, then you wouldn't have it. But because you are scared of it, you do have it. it it's bizarre. And yet that's the way it works. Because there's a certain power that fear has that, that you have to really appreciate. Let's think about the story of Job for a moment. All right. Job was not tormented by the devil because he was a sinner. He was, do you understand? He didn't suffer because he was a sinner. It wasn't the consequence of his sin. We all know that. We know that's not the way the story is told. The, story is, the way the story is told is that God is proud of Job. And, and, in, and to, to, to demonstrate to the, to, to the accuser, uh, the, the reasons for which God is proud of Job, God allows the devil to, to, to remove, to take away certain things out of Job's life to demonstrate the quality of, of the person that Job is. Does that make any sense? Yeah, right? But Job's not righteous. Like, you can't, he's not righteous. Like, at the end of Job, when, when God comes and, and he speaks out of the hurricane, out of, out of the, the, the tornado, whatever it is that God spoke out of, God's not like, Job, you're awesome. Everybody else, you suck. Like, it's not like that. Like, everyone is, is a fool before God. Like, God is wisdom and nobody else does. But, but just think about the story at the beginning of Job for a moment. Okay. The explanation that, that we have, uh, if, you, if that's all you know about Job, it makes sense, but it's still unjust in this sense. Let's say that you have a, let's imagine that you were in God's shoes and you had a dog who was like very loyal to you. And the dog doesn't understand anything, you know, but he's just, he's very loyal to you. He's a good dog. He's a great dog, do you know? And um, your friend comes by and you're like, I don't know if that dog loves you that much. And you're like, really? The dog loves me. And you're like, nah, he doesn't really love you. He's just a stupid animal. You're like, fine, go kick him and see if he, you know, runs over to me. That's not just. That's not just. Why should you allow your friend to kick your dog just to prove a point? You, are you following? You're not following? You're like, not really. I don't, I, don't like, I don't like the direction you're going here, Brother Dan. This is not good. <laughs> Up to my understanding of the story. That's, that's, not, that's not just. You can't, you can't let your friend kick your dog just to prove a point about your dog. There's nothing good about that. And so it cannot be that the devil was allowed to mess with Job because God wanted to prove a point about Job. That can't be the open door in Job's life that allowed him to actually suffer the things that he suffered. And it's not. Because Job confesses the problem with his life, actually. In Job chapter 3, uh, let's see here, I think it's verse 25. Flip to it, you cannot. I don't know if I think Janet's doing verses for us today. 
This is what Job says. He says, the, for the thing that I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Think about what he's saying. In other words, Job is now confessing that what happened to him was something that he feared would happen to him. Um, That even though he was behaving righteously before God in terms of the way that he related to God, he was scared of losing the things that he had in life. And that his experience, this is before God speaks out of the heart and explains to Job what happened, you know, you have all that revelation. Actually, God never explains to Job what happened in heaven. Like, you know, like Job is blind to that until Job, you know, died probably. But, but so in Job's experience, Job is, Job is, um, he's experiencing this sudden loss, you know, this, 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 you know, tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy. And his explanation for it, what he does right is that he doesn't blame God. What he does right is that he doesn't complain. What he does right is that he doesn't curse God. What he does right is that he doesn't feel like, 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 like God is unjust. But the reason that he feels that, which you have to like, read this verse and appreciate what he's saying in order to, to understand it, is that Job understands that he feared all these things happening to him. And because he fears all these things happening, that he dreaded it. You know? And then he says, what I dread befalls me. In order in other words, the thing that I, this is why it's a wisdom book, because you understand this, the thing that he is scared of is the thing that has come upon him, and it's entirely just for something to come upon you if you fear it. So, so you see, the reason that Job experienced what he experienced was not just that God was proud of him and wanted to make an example of his resilience and his persistence and his, you know, everything else before the devil and, you know, for all of us to, to follow through our whole time. That is true. But the reason that Job had an open door into his life for him to be tested in this way was because he was fearful of it. In other words, the testing of God was not just like, God is like, ha, you know, look at my great servant Job. Now go ahead and go ahead and go kick him if you want. It wasn't like that. It was that it was Job's fear that created the opening for this testing to come into his life. It was his fear. It was his fear. And as long as Job had the fear, there was an open door. But if Job didn't have the fear, everything he had would have been safe. Isn't it paradoxical that the less you fear losing something, the more secure you are in having it? And it's just like God. It is exactly perfectly like God to, to, to create a world like that, you know, to, to teach this to you and, and, and help you understand this. The less you fear losing something, the more secure you are in owning it. The less you fear being sick, the less likely you are to be sick. It, it's, it's like, it, it's this shocking, it's unbelievable, like, but, but it's utterly true. And what that means is that if you want to have a life that is full of blessing and peace, you should not fear losing the things that you have. If you want to be married, you should not fear being single. And if you want kids, you should not fear being childless. And if you want, like, and if you want friends, you should not fear being lonely. And if you want a great family, then you should not fear not having a family. Like the, and the reason this is mind-boggling is because 
it's so difficult to overcome that thing. Like, it, it, it's such a, it's a big ask. It, it's a big ask. It's not really, I'll show you in a moment. But, but it feels like a big ask, you know. Like, so what does that mean? Like, if I don't ever want to, so like, for instance, I have a fear of snakes. Amen. We're getting over this victory Sunday. We call this breakthrough Sunday. No amening. No amening. So I have this fear of snakes. You know, like I, I hate snakes. Like I just, I'm like, I, I, I kid you not. You know, I asked Brother David once, like, because he's not scared of snakes. Like, he's just not scared of snakes. There's different levels of not being scared of snakes. And he's not scared of snakes. And he'll just take, <laughs> there's, did I tell you the story about the, about the big python? That, did I didn't tell you the story about the big python? So in Mexico, they have some big pythons, right? And one time, there was a, uh, there was a church um, that brought, you know, a missions team down to, down to Mexico to go, to, go, to go see them and visit them. And, you know, these are, this is the sort of team that have, you know, matching t-shirts and name tags and, uh, and you know, the whole thing. Um, so they're, you know, they do a service out in the, uh, the, the village. And then you know, late at night, they're going back to the, to the, to the um, uh, to, to home base and it's late at night and and all the village uh, all the all the the the, uh, the the visiting churches are scrambling to the back of this pickup truck you know so they can drive them and there are the, is this gigantic python like in the middle of the road and all the visitors, ah! like screaming you know and like you know crawling over each other you know to get into the pickup truck and and um and uh, and there's a little like you know screaming like little babies you know in the back of the truck like ah, get away from us get I mean they're on the top of this truck they can't get anyways and so brother David goes over there and he grabs this thing and he 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 like he grabs it by its tail and it's this big old long python and he grabs it by its tail and he, he like he grabs it and he swings it over his head <laughs> and the like, ah! like losing their minds and they're like you know like like like. We would probably too if we were in their shoes. They're all like losing their minds. And he swings and he swings and he's like, oh, I and then so and then he slams it on top of the truck uh, where where they are. And uh, and when the truck when the snake hits the truck, it explodes. And then snake guts and snake blood fly everywhere. <laughs> And it's dead, obviously. The business like, ah, oh, they're like losing their mind in this this hilarious. And then so he leaves the snake there, he gets into the driver's seat, he you know, activates the windshield to get rid of the, the snake blood and they drive off. It's just, there's some people that are like, there's different levels of not being scared of snakes, you know? Brother Chico is like, when I see a snake, I'll stomp it on its head. But he says, Brother David, he's crazy. He's crazy. I asked Brother Chico once, I was like, how are you not scared of snakes? He's like, oh, I just stomp it on its head, you know? I'm like, oh, I would run. But then there's, then there's people that like, Grab it by its tail on purpose, just to, just for fun, just for fun. Like it just, just, just. But you see that, like, if you're scared of something, it has dominance over you. It makes you like, ah, like you're not supposed to be scared of snakes. It's in the created order, in the in the order that God has created, you have dominance over that thing. There's no reason you look at it. Come into the, get me into the the metal contraption. Like it, it's, you're not supposed to be scared of snakes, but but but. And if we are scared of snakes, then it's power over us. But if you're not scared of snakes, you're like, what python? That python? <laughs> you know, you know, come here, let me grab by its tail. Like, it's just like, it, 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 there's, everything you're scared of is a chain. It's a stronghold in your life. It has power over you. You can't be free until you have no fear. It, it, this is not like a confront your fear sort of thing. Like, you do need to, there are times for you to confront your fears, but, 
But, but, the, but the first step here is to not excuse your fears or to consider them reasonable. There is no fear you have that is reasonable. The fear of poverty is not a reasonable fear. The fear of loneliness is not a reasonable fear. There are no fears that are reasonable fears. And you cannot get rid of something in your life if you consider it reasonable. If you welcome it into you. You have to, like, you have to confess, this is not reasonable. This is not good, I don't want this. Before you can get rid of it. Fear is always unreasonable. And it's not just because there's so many verses in the Bible that tell us don't fear. I mean, the, the Bible talks about fear something like, like, 400, 500 times. Like, I haven't done a comprehensive search here. But like, so, like, often, like, God is dealing, dealing with people's fears and, and how he wants to respond to this. But, but in the, the Old Testament, between the old, uh, in the Bible, between the Old and the New Testament, where, you know, God is often saying, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. I mean, he says it at least a dozen times. Like, it's just not, it's not a secret that God understands that fear is a very significant obstacle between where you are and where you are supposed to be, the life that God desires for you. And if you welcome it in your life, it's not, you only have yourself to blame. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and Sound mind. When you choose fear, you can't have a sound mind. And if you want a sound mind, you have to choose to deal with the things that you fear. There's so many verses about this. Like, you can't even, this is not, you know, you can't even go there. Like, it's just, there's too many verses. There's too many. First John chapter four. Let's start in thirteen, even though I don't really need this many verses, but it's good to just catch up. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, but whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The verse that you know is perfect love casts out fear. I want to talk about that in a moment, but think about what he says at the end here. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Any area of your life that fear touches, the love of God has not touched that area in your life. If you fear poverty, for instance, 
then the love of God has not touched that area in your life. And if you fear failure, then the love of God has not touched that area in your life. And if you fear rejection, then the love of God has not touched that area in your life. Not because he does not want to, but because you do not allow him to. Because you prefer the fear over his love. There is no area of your life that you experience the love of God in that you still have fear about. If you are truly, truly, truly confident that you will go to heaven after this life, you would not fear death. For a Christian to fear death, it's, it's very interesting. For a Christian to fear death, it would be like for an eight-year-old to fear getting to Disney World. It just doesn't make any sense. It's like, I'm going to Disney World. I'm going to Disney World. Guys, you know that over a string back, my parents taking me to Disney World? And then you get there and you're like, ah, we're going to get there. It doesn't make any sense. You only fear death if you don't believe that Disney World exists. It, it does not make any sense whatsoever for a Christian to fear death. It does, just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Uh, unless you don't actually believe that heaven exists. Unless you don't actually believe that God will carry you there. Unless you don't actually believe that it's much better than this life. If you fear the loss of this life because you don't think that there's something better, then it makes total sense to be scared of death. But if you're utterly, absolutely, completely, and totally confident that there is something better, why be scared of something that gets you there faster? I'm scared of cancer because it might kill me. Interesting. That's like saying I'm scared of flying to Disney World instead of driving to Disney World because I might get there faster. It just doesn't make that much sense. It only makes sense if you're not actually very confident about heaven. If you think about that for a moment, you'll pretty quickly realize that everything you're scared of, that everything that you fear, if you can map out those things, it's actually a reflection of what you have faith in and what you don't have faith in. It's it, not, not that difficult like, to, to figure this out. If I fear about something, that means God's love has not touched that area of my life. That means that like, I actually haven't experienced God. There, and if you have a lot of fears, that means you have experienced God in a lot of different areas of your life. Because fear is known by many Christians to be um, a, a bad thing, and because we don't like to confess that we have fear, and we don't want to deal with the fear that we have, we very often hide, we very often justify our fears by um, convincing ourselves that we are a victim. And when you convince yourself that you're a victim of something, then the fear that you have now appears justified. Do you remember the man that got a talent and then he hid in the ground and the master came and said, hey, what'd you do with my talent? He said, I hid in the ground. The man failed, but rather than dealing with his failure, he, do you remember how he explains it? He says, I knew you to be, um, uh, to, to, to be a wrathful man, you know, trying to reap what you do not sow and, and, and blah, blah, blah. It's very interesting. He's scared of his master, and because he's scared of his master, and he's scared of failing his master, because he's scared of failing his master, he doesn't take the risks of going out and actually doing business the way that his master intended for him to do. But he doesn't want to confess to the fact that it's his own failure, so he disguises it as an accusation about what a terrible person his master is. 
that his master is unfair and unjust. It's his own fear of his master that causes him to not take the risk that his master wanted him to take. But he pretends to be a victim in order to escape from the, 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 the reality that his fears confined him. The third servant is not worse at doing business than the other two. He was scared of failing. And he was scared of failing and, and he decided to justify his fear of failing by accusing his master of being a, an, an, an angry and wrathful person. And it doesn't make any sense, but it makes a lot of sense to, the per, to, to, to him because he's sitting there in his fear. He doesn't want to get over his fear. Rather than getting over his fear, he'd rather use it as an excuse, a cover-up for his failure. To avoid that in life, you, you have to be honest. You have to be honest about what you're scared of. And it can be embarrassing to be scared of certain things. But, you ha- like, but if you're not honest about it, it's a stronghold over you. And the, the, the amount of effort that we expend to justify you know, these things in our lives. And you don't see that like, uh, it's clear to everybody else other than you typically that like, all the justification, all it does is it supports the fear so the fear, has, the fear has even more power over you. And it gives you a reason to never deal with it gives you a reason to never deal with it. Fear is often seen as, seen as reasonable when you've experienced something that can cause trauma in that area of your life. My grandmother, for instance, um, was my late grandmother, she's with Jesus now, um, was, was uh, you know, born in the early 20th century and she lived through just a very terrible century in China. Lots of poverty, lots of, she lost both her parents when she was very young. She was orphaned, I think at you know, six or eight, something like that, I don't remember exactly. Um, and just went through a lot of poverty, like, you know, in her lifetime, suffered the cultural revolution, you know, cultural upheaval, you know, uh, years and years of, of utter starvation and, 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 and everything else like that. And um, because of that, even in the 90s and 2000s, like, you know, when our family, my dad come to the States and, you know, would, would send financial support, as you should do. Um, and, and her other kids also supported her financially and took care, very well care of her. But she still behaved as if, sometimes, she would still behave as if starvation was just around the corner. And, and, and it could hit at any moment. And so, like food, that, like vegetables that would go bad, like, 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 like not, not, like, not like, not like, you know, this strawberry is a little squishy. Like, like bad, like bad, like bad. Like she would still insist on, on cooking and she would usually not serve that to the rest of us, but she would eat it herself. And, and, and mantles, which are like, it's, how do you describe a mantle? It's just the most, it's a fluffy piece of heaven is what it is. Um, but it's this, it's this bread-like Oh, fl- oh, you know, never mind. I'm not gonna, not gonna go down that road. Um, but, but, but mantos that, that got stale and 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 just, I mean, nasty, soury, ugh. Like she would still insist on on eating it. And if anybody, if like one of her kids, you know, uh, my 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 dad and and his siblings try to come and take it from her or throw it out, she'd just be like, "How dare you!" And like don't you know like don't you understand like you can't just it's food you can't it it seems so justified you know because of the trauma that she'd experienced in the course of her life but it wasn't justified and it wasn't reasonable but everybody except her could see that because what she could see was the trauma she went through and what everybody else could see was 
that there's peace and prosperity and the family makes more than enough money and she was so loved, you know, as a mother and she was going to be taken care of by her kids for the rest of her life. You know, they were always going to take care of her. They were always, they were like, you know, any one of us would give up our food so that, because she took care of, I mean, she raised me, she, you know, for uh, when my parents came to the state. Like, she, just any one of us would have would have gladly given our own food for her. But but, but the, the trauma she experienced was so personal and so real, and it stayed with her to the very end. To the very end. It just years, a year, I mean, you would just... I mean, she got slowly would just get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. But like, even when I went home when I was I'm in middle school to to visit her, you know, she would always want the best for me. You know, she would go out and 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 go get coconut juice for me. But then, you know, <laughs> uh, 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 I love Chinese coconut milk. It's so good, so good. Anyways, um, she'd always you know, or 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 she would get yogurt delivered. Um, in in Beijing, when I was growing up, yogurt, they would deliver your yogurt to you daily on your on your doorstep. She always get yogurt delivered, and she always give it to me, and then and then she would just scrape out you know the bottom, the part that I didn't want for herself. I mean, you know, it's, it's like those yogurts were like twelve cents. Like you know, they're just like they're like they're nothing. Like they're just they're nothing. Like they're nothing. Like nothing. Like it's just nothing. But but could never rise above. The, the, the trauma that poverty had, had caused in her life. You can't be forced to let go of the things you've suffered. Nobody can force you to let go of you know, PTSD. You can't be forced out of, of it, but... but you can be led out of it. And the Bible says that perfect love pushes fear out. But you have to abide in his love. And you know that you're not abiding in his love when there's fear in your life. But if you abide in your love, it's like the way that light casts out darkness. It just It's pushed out. And whenever you experience fear in your life, you know that I'm not dwelling in God's love in this area of my life. In fact, if you have seasons of fear and then you have seasons of, of, of where you're not struggling with that fear, and then you go back into a place of fearing the same things again, that's a sign to you that you've moved out of God's love into something else. And that should be a very concerning sign to you. But it is a sign that you're no longer living in God's love. Now I'm, I'm, I'm living in something else. And that's your choice. Because we always get to choose to abide in this love. Um, peace, you cannot experience when God's fear is with you. But peace, oh, sorry, sorry when, when, when your fear is with you. But peace is not the absence of fear. It, it, it's... I know that can be confusing if you've dwelt in fear your whole life and the only thing you want is to get out of fear, but peace is, it, it's not the absence of fear in the same way that light is not the absence of darkness. If you explained light to someone as the absence of darkness, it, it's not that it's false, it's just that it's so dramatically understating it that you might as well be lying. Like it's just, it's it, like, it's not like, you couldn't say that that's wrong. It's not 
wrong. It's just, you've missed the whole thing. You know, it's, it's just like saying, you know what, I don't, not going to use another food analogy. It's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's just so dramatically understating it that it's, it's totally different. Peace. It's not the absence of fear. Peace is a state of existing where you are completely secure and, and totally stable in every way. God fears nothing. You understand? He fears nothing. He does not fear the devil. <laughs> he doesn't fear sickness. He doesn't fear death. He doesn't fear a revolution. Like, he's a, like he doesn't fear an uprising. All the angels are going to be like, we're going to overthrow him today. Like, we don't like him anymore. Did you understand? He has, he has no fear of, of, he doesn't fear. Sometimes, sometimes he's like, people are like, the only thing God fears is you not loving him. Well, you egotistical maniac. Like, it's, God does not fear you're not loving him. This is so, this is so hilarious. It's, it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. or, you know, God fears, you know, whatever, that the world, that there would be no revival and no, nobody would believe in him. God doesn't fear nobody believing him. <laughs> it's so funny. It's, he fears nothing. You, like, you understand that, right? But, 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 Peace for God is more than not fearing anything. It's a total and utter stability. It's 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 total calm. It's you know like you you know it's total soundness. It's complete and utter security and confidence. It's total freedom. There's it has the lack of fear is only the beginning of peace. There's so much more. It's this wealth of a state of existing that, like, you know, most people know nothing about because you're always scared of something. But if you can actually walk into God's peace, like, I'm scared of nothing. I mean, whoa, like, you would be a happy goose. Like, you would just be like, whoa, you'd be happy. Like, it would be good. Like, it would be good. You would be frolicking, and you would be taking naps, and you would be like you know, overeating sometimes, and and you know, like I mean, it would just be whoa, you're free. That's peace. And Jesus, my peace, do I give to you? That's peace. Like peace is is oh so wonderful. And first, you have to choose not to not to fear things. <sighs> There's lots of verses in the Psalms, um, which is like really, really good for, for this topic because you know the Psalms are very relational and, and, and personal and you, you can relate to a lot of what's in the Psalms. But there's a lot of verses in the Psalms about this. Um, there's, there's verses in the Bible like Isaiah 41, 10, which says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not just be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. So there's verses like that where it's just like, yeah, I'm not supposed to be afraid. But then the reality is you are afraid you, you like you know like you're like i'm not gonna be. and then you be like i declare over myself i declare over myself self you stand in front of the mirror this is like a good charismatic yourself no fear um but but then you know it happens psalm 46 I like, starting in verse one says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. 
Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea and its waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging. Very interesting, very interesting. Okay. Why does the psalmist not fear the earth itself falling apart? Can you imagine if today the mountains began to fall into the sea, there'd be some people very scared. There's some people in this room running around like, you know, a toddler shouting. Like, there'd be some fear. The psalmist says that even though all these things might happen, even though earthquakes and like everything else, even though like people losing, even though banks may fail, the economy may fail, America may fail, COVID may take over the world, he has no fear. Why is, do you know, but, but why? Because God is continually helping him. And what that suggests is that the way out of fear is to constantly experience God's help. And what that suggests is that the more you live in faith, the less fear you would have. And what that suggests is that if you want to get rid of your fear, you should put yourself in a position where you need God to work a miracle for you in order for your life to work out. And what that suggests is that you should stop living the normal life you've always lived. Because you need to open some doors in your life for God to take care of you. So you can experience him taking care of you. So you can stop being scared that he won't take care of you. If you're fearful of poverty, give all your money away. See what God does. If you're fearful of failure, take a class that's too hard for you. Which is really hard for some of you. You'd be like, take a class that's too hard for me. I'm where am I going to find that? <laughs> First world problems. First world problems. If you're fearful of failure, do something that you know that you can't do on your own. Watch what God does to help you. See that he is, in fact, an ever-present source of help and strength. See that, in fact, through all the quakings and all the rumblings and all the shakings, that he is always with you. And as you experience that, in your life, you stop fearing. What causes you to continue fearing is when you try to take care of all of your own problems on your own. And you pretend like you're relying on God when really you're relying on your own abilities. That creates more fear. I realize that in a lot of, I realize that a lot of ministry leaders fear of, sorry, abuse of offerings is because they fear not having money. But the reason they fear not having any money is because they expect themselves to provide for the worth that God has given them to do. Whereas Jesus said, when you go, do not take, do not fill your, take your belt sack full of gold and silver. Do you know? And why is it that he told them to leave their wallet at home? 
Because the kingdom will support the things that the kingdom... And the more used to paying for things yourself you are, the less likely you are to experience God doing a miracle for you in that area, and the less likely you are to experience God doing it, the more likely it is to become a stronghold over you, and the bigger you get, the greater the stronghold, until it becomes a significantly compromising force in your life. The time to take care of it is when you're young, and, and when you haven't gone very far, and when you notice little fears begin to start to trickle up in you. They haven't grown to these, become these fully developed monsters yet, hopefully. Hopefully, well, in some cases. But, but when you're, and you notice some fears in your life, begin to confront them right away immediately. Immediately. From the fir- very first job that you have, tackle the fear of poverty, like, immediately. I need no money, I need no job. Like, if I, like, you know, and there will be opportunities, you know, uh, it, for you to, to take risks of the sort. I've realized that having a lot of something does not get rid of the fear of not having it. Bill Gates is not, is not free of the fear of poverty. Even though he has far more money than anybody ever. In fact, I think that people that have the most fear losing it the most. And you may not see it because, especially people that have been in these positions for a long time, they're very good at hiding the fears that they have. But I suspect that a lot of decisions that people make that just seem like odd is because they actually have a lot of fear of things that are really silly for anybody to fear, especially for a believer. For a Christian to fear like not having money I mean, I don't know. It's just like it's just it's just really sad. I mean, Jesus says, "Do not worry what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear." Like, like it just it's it's just really sad. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew, Matthew six thirty three. You all know the verse. Like, um, for a Christian to fear not having money is just like, I mean, it, like it's just like it's like it's 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 bizarre. I don't I don't I I I don't know I don't know what to say. Well, well brother Daniel, there are Christians in, you know, third world countries and 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 they starve. They go to heaven. Again, it's like fearing getting to Disney World. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. God allows you to 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 starve then you get to go to heaven. Like it, it's it's wonderful. And it's not to make fun of people's fears. It's it's to expose the fact that if you haven't experienced the love of God in that area of your life, you need to give them a chance so that you can get over it. You cannot build defenses around it and insist that this is just you, that nobody understands you, nobody knows what you've been through, nobody knows what you've experienced, nobody knows all the trauma you face. Like If you keep going down that road, then you will shelter this slave driver of yours that is constantly acting on your emotions, constantly acting on your intentions, constantly like, like distracting you. Why would you protect that thing? It doesn't make any sense. You have to let the perfect love of God cast it out of you, which is really awesome because the Bible says that fear is a spirit, right? I think, did we read that? 2 Timothy 1, 7? It says that, the, the, it's, that fear is a spirit and it's something that, it's, it's a force, like I said, it's, it's acting on you. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. It's not innate to you. God has not created you with it. People talk about like fight or flight, like God has, he hasn't created you, he hasn't created flight, he has created dominance 
like fight is the only thing God is like, you know, I bind you in Jesus. Name. That's what God created. <laughs> like that is what God has created. He hasn't created you to be like, ah, run away. And do you know, the reason why the, the, the army of Israel ran away from Goliath was because they didn't stand up to the bear or the lion. The reason that David did was because he did stand up to the bear or the lion. The bear is bigger than the lion, it's stronger. But David, I defy you in the name of the living God. Like, you will not understand who's in charge here. You, next time you see a bear, you know, in Montana, uh, you, like, there's a, you know who's in charge here? Get down. Like, you know, I know you big. Get Get that, like, you know, see what the bear does. Um, you know, don't resort to your pepper spray. Your pepper spray is, is like, that, that's, that's your fear coming. You're like, ah, my pepper. The pepper spray, bear, it just makes the bear mad. It just makes the bear mad. Just, you know, I defy you in the name of the living dead. Get down on your paws. Now walk the other direction. Like, you know, try it. See what happens. See what happens. Good things, good things, good things, good things. Years ago, there was an outbreak of, 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 of uh, um, I think it was Ebola. You know, I don't remember exactly what it is. In, in Mozambique, where, where Heidi enrolled ministers after one of the, um, the tsunamis. And the, the UN came in and set up these, these, these camps and, and, uh, and uh, very contagious. And, and so they like, had tents and like, people were organizing tents. And, and UN workers in like, biohazard suits were you know, going in there and like, helping people. People were dying by the hundreds. And, and Heidi um, and their team here, but Heidi's like, oh, I'm going to the camp. I'm going to pray for people. It's a great opportunity to share Jesus and plant some churches in this area. And, um, and so she's like, marched her straight into the tent. And um, the Iris was working with the UN on something, so they knew who they, she was. So it wasn't like, you know, she got on the camp. And she's like, oh, I'm going to go into that tent. I'm going to pray for some people. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't do that. Like, you know, you're going to die. Like, this is blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you can't stop me. Is there a law that I can't go into that tent? And they're like, well, I guess not. And she's like, okay, at least put on the biohazard suit. And Heidi, you know, the way she is, she tries to be submissive and, and, and respectful. And so it's like, oh, okay. And she just gets the bio, she, like, she's she no idea what they're talking about. And so she gets the biohazard suit and it's just, and it's all around. And it's like air, you know, vents. <laughs> you look like the, you know, the thing in a, but I'm just like, I can't hug anyone with this thing on. <laughs> this is like uh, taking this thing off. She just, it gets the whole thing off. She's um, so just, they're like, you're going to die if you go in there. She's like, watch me. <laughs> so like, she, she just goes in there and, you know, finds the first one. And I'm like, God, Jesus loves you. You are awesome. You know, give me some, you know, give some water, some food, you know. <laughs> and, you know, the whole thing is that's her. And it just, it's her. Yeah, she's awesome. And it's, uh, that's her. And, and uh, I don't know, there's like th- hundreds of people in that tent. And she so walks around and greets people and prays for them. And, hey, let's hold hands and let's pray together and like sing to Jesus. It's crazy. Walks out of the tent, totally fine. You, you don't, it only has power over you if you're scared of it. It only has power over you if you're scared of it. And sometimes, sometimes God lets the thing touch you. And, and sometimes the reason he lets the thing touch you is so that you can experience his power and he can show you and you can know definitively that it has no power over you. Remember when COVID broke out? I was like, guys, COVID's not going to touch us. And of course, I was the first person that got it. <laughs> and I almost died. And then, you know, God saved me. And Lily. And Nick, 
incidentally. And Danny and Angela, their watermelon. They brought us a watermelon in the middle of it. Lord, that was the best watermelon I've ever had in my life. Totally off-season. Great watermelon. <laughs> and you know what happened afterwards was that, like, it just wasn't scared of it anymore. And there are lots of people that were... I, 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 it's very interesting. Cause I, was, I always thought the answer was just, I'm not, that's never going to touch me. But then I understood actually that when God allowed it to like almost kill me, and then it didn't kill me at all, and he just like brought me right back, and I didn't have long COVID, no symptoms, just nothing. And I had all the symptoms. Some of the symptoms, they're very private. I'm not going to tell you. Esther knows. But like, you had lots of symptoms. And then like afterwards, it was like, like all gone. And afterwards, I was like, the fear of COVID is totally irrational. So I'd go out and be like, people didn't want to go to the grocery store. So I'd be like, I'm going, I'm going to go to the grocery store. And I just go to the grocery store. And the, I remember getting in line at one of the grocery stores um, in our area back then. And I was like, because you're supposed to social distance, right? Um, but it was hard because people, like, it was a line and people were moving. They were only allowed like three people into the grocery store at any one time. You, know, you remember that, right? And so I was standing there and I was just like minding my own business. And when we were in line, we were all like six feet apart. And I got, I think, to within like four feet feet of the lady in front of me and she turns around and she's like angry and she's like can you not just get a little bit just back up dude like I mean I'm just like yelling in the middle of the sidewalk and this like I mean she's got her Lululemon on and she's got a mask and the film and the whole like just like I mean it's gonna she covered she's like mask the goggles everything like she was like terrified of her life and I was like, wow, you were in bondage. Can I pray for you? I didn't actually say that. I thought that would, she wouldn't like that. She wouldn't like that. It's just like, whoa, it's a, that bondage. And it's out like, you, you, you didn't have to mask at that time. Like in open air, it's like, ah, you know? It's just like, you get on the subway and you're just like, whoo, this is nice. Let me sit, you know, hey, what you doing? Like, it's just... He sometimes allows you to experience it because it's what the psalmist says. If God never allowed anything to touch you, then you would never experience his help. But when you experience him as a God who is constantly helping you in every area of your life, he's constantly helping you. He's delaying that plane so you can catch it. He's making sure there's one more bag of carrots at the grocery store because you are going to make braised beef tonight. Like he's constantly like, you know, everybody else around you is getting laid off, but there you are. You still got your job. In fact, they decided to promote you this year. He's constantly, he's allowing you to experience these things so that you experience. He's constantly helping you. And as you experience that he's constantly helping you, the earth underneath your feet is giving way and everybody else is shrieking like a baby. But you understand, no fear here, buddy. Because he's constantly helping you. In order for him to constantly help you, he has to walk you through a few things. He has to walk you through a few things. She was like, why are there layoffs at my company? I thought I was a Christian. God is supposed to protect me from these things. It, because he can't constantly help you if you have nothing that you need help out of. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Up until 2020, I thought the answer was Psalm 91. It ain't touching me. Like, a thousand may follow your right hand, 10,000 at your life. No, not you. This is not in my camp. <laughs> but, like, but, but total protection does not actually cure you of fear. Having the snake in your face who can't bite you, like, it, that's nice. That's nice. One of the reasons I think that David Hogan is not scared of snakes is because every poisonous snake in that jungle has bit him and he never dies. 
there's one time he was working in his garden. I love there's there's working in this orange orchard, which a lot of you know about. And he was on his tractor and he was mowing down this weed, and 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 he was like mowing it down. And he, he loves that thing. And so it's like brain And a snake jumps out of the tree. It latches onto his arm just like that, like as he's driving the thing. And 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 he like takes a while to get its teeth out and shake it out and throw it in the tractor. The 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 spinning blades and then he loves it when snakes explode but he's like oh this is a new snake i've never seen that before and they should go back. So he's got some pastors at his house that day because they were having a a, a a a leaders meeting and so he goes back to the house and these guys guys a snake bit me and and they were like what kind of snake was it like you know what kind of snake was it and you know they explain the snake and he described that long and this color and those stripes and they're like oh, that's the most deadly snake in the entire jungle if you even get near one you're gonna die within 15 minutes and so all the pastors are there like they're so scared for his life you know it was so hilarious and these are people that are like filled with the Holy Ghost, angels, like the whole thing. I mean, these are people that like raise people from the dead. Like they raise people from the dead, <laughs> you know? And they're like, <laughs> 15 minutes later, I mean, he, they, they told him he was supposed to drop dead within 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, 15 minutes goes by and, and, and he's still fine. He's walking around, you know, got his power aid. <laughs> it's like, I, at some point, it's like, whoa, like this is nuts. It, it, you need... Me, I'd be like, oh God, don't let the snake near me. But the fact is that when the snake is near you and it bites you and you see that it has no power over you, then you stop being afraid. Do you know? So if you want to be not scared of failing, maybe God needs to put you in a position where every human reason and every human condition tells you that you are utterly going to fail but then you don't. And if you are afraid of rejection, maybe you need to have the worst application in the entire grad school pool and yet still get in. So then you would stop fearing being rejected. Like, you, like does that, God needs to bring you near to the fire so that, or maybe even into the fire so that you can see the fire has no power over you. And so you shed that fear and you replace it with a great sense, not of your giftedness, Jesus help us, but of his profound and wonderful love. If you walk away from another 11,000 layoffs at Meta thinking that you're a wonderful employee, you've learned the wrong lesson. If everybody around you loses their job and you do not, and you think that it's because of your surpassing excellence, you have not learned the right lesson. Just like if you walk away from a steak bite not biting and you think, well, I'm just naturally immune. Like you, you've not learned the right lesson. Decide that God really does love you and that every experience in your life that leads you to that point speaks to the fact that he loves you. And then decide that the fact that God loves you should help you shed every fear that you may have. That is a demon. It's not your friend. And the less you have of it, the more free you are in this life. And like I told you, totally paradoxically, it's completely paradoxically, the less you fear something, the more likely you are to be safe from it. The more you fear something, the more likely it is to come and consume you. If you don't fear your kids and you discipline them in a godly way, they're very likely to be deeply committed to you. If you do fear your kids and you let them run the household, 
it's very likely that they're going to run away as soon as they can. Like, it, it's just, it doesn't make any sense to the natural mind. But this is the way that God has created it. If you step into the order that God has created, everything will work out fine. And if you choose not to exist in the order that God has created, then nothing you attempt to build will actually stand. It just doesn't work like that. Let me stand with me here so that we can um, wrap up and let the band come and play. Emily, if you could play something for us. And I don't think we need the choir. You guys can just, it's, it's all right. Yeah, yeah we're, just, we're good. We're just going to do a little instrumental here to start. And um, uh, honey, you can, you can come and, and minister here for a second. I'm just going to pray and then let Esther take this, whichever direction she would like to take it. Um, because I, I really do want to provide an opportunity this morning for the Holy Spirit to touch your life. And I, I want to ask you to actually invite him to bring about circumstances in you that will deliver you from every fear that you have. It, it's not the sort of thing I think that's very easy to just sit here in an altar call time and then all of a sudden you're free. It's much more likely that God will bring out circumstances in your life that give you an opportunity to choose to see that the thing that you're fearful of have no power. But to prepare you to walk into that, I think, We'll, out, we'll, we'll, just, yeah, we'll just spend a minute here and see what the Holy Spirit does in people's lives. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the presence of your Spirit in this church this morning. And we want to ask, God, that you would come and inspect our lives. Father, you know how your love has transformed us. And you also know, God, any area of our life that we have decided to not experience your love in. And we ask, God, that you would help us out of all of those this morning because we need it, because we need it. Father, our prayer is that this church would not fear anything and not fear the loss of money or their reputation or influence or a career that doesn't work out or a family that doesn't play out or a marriage that ends in divorce because every single one of those things, God, will end up controlling us in a way that you have not created us to be controlled by those things. And instead, God, we pray that you would teach us to be those that just cast ourselves into your perfect love and choose to walk into your embrace and the security and peace and sound mind that you offer to us. A spirit of fear you have not given to us, but you've given to us power, love, and a sound mind. You have not decided, God, to give us a, a mind that is constantly anxious, constantly doubting, constantly trying to figure things out, constantly trying to protect itself from losing things that it likes. And we pray that you would help us today. Father, for every person in this room that has fear in their life, which is probably all of us, help us. Help us to choose to believe in you. Choose to believe in your goodness. Choose to believe that you are everything. And you are enough. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.